Before we start this week's podcast, some sad news has broken in between us recording and releasing the podcast, which I wanted to share. Marilyn Lovell, the wife of astronaut Jim Lovell, has died at the age of 93. We'll spend some time in next week's podcast talking about Marilyn, but for now we just really wanted to send our thoughts and condolences to the extended Lovell family and their friends. It's our third birthday, so we wanted to do something special for this week's episode as we look back at one of the big moments in spaceflight that has occurred in our three years of podcasting. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite moments, that's for sure. Today, we interview Chris Sembroski from the Inspiration4 crew. What's been your favorite moment in spaceflight from the last three years? Let us know via our social media pages at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram, Threads, and Facebook, or via the contact form on our website. And please consider joining us over at patreon.com forward slash Space and Things. But right now, enjoy episode 157 of the Space and Things Podcast. Listening to the Space and Things podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 157 of our podcast. Happy birthday to us, Emily. Happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday to us. I can't believe it doesn't seem like it's been three years. It's gone by so quickly but i look back at our archives and i'm like man we've done so much over the last three years and we've interviewed so many amazing people so it is really mind-blowing to me it's almost like i don't even believe this is all happened it's like a dream almost it's really cool yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah it's great to look back at all the things we've achieved isn't it it's really wonderful it is and like and i'm not saying that in like a bragging way i'm saying it in a like a wow we did that like that's really freaking cool like we got to talk to these people and not just talk to them but put it sort of on the historical record i think that you know other people can go and listen to it and be like wow this this person had some really cool insights and stuff so really awesome absolutely absolutely and i've learned so much as well i now own a lot more books <laughs> me too i swear to god half my condo is like books and it's ridiculous <laughs> like i need to get a storage unit like for real asap absolutely and there's been some wonderful things happen over the last few years in the world of space flight it feels like a good time to have been putting together a space podcast a weekly space based podcast because there's so much going on i mean even if you look at the the contrast between how much is going on week by week now compared to when we started it seems to be a lot more uh so i yeah. think i think we we definitely got in at the right time in terms of doing this just so much is going on and as you said you know it seems to be ramping up a lot yeah. you know over just the last three years even since we started you know you you look at the number of space stories then versus you know I mean, there's headline news probably at least once a week, you know, or at least once a month over something in spaceflight, which is really, which is really wonderful to see because honestly, people were not paying a lot of attention. And I think now things have changed a little bit over the last three years. I really do. Absolutely. And it's all down to us, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and we did that. Yeah, we, we take full credit for yeah. it. I'm kidding. We did it. We did all that. Because, yeah, we're the, oh my God. We take full credit for it. 
I, I'm sitting I'm, here in my pajamas absolutely. with a giant zit saying that with like a full seriousness. Like, yeah, we changed everything, and we're, we're the, you know. Anyway, anyway, on to this week's main feature. Let's get cracking, yeah. shall we? So, in February 2021, during the halftime of the Super Bowl, I believe that's a sports event, a TV <laughs> ad announced that Jared Isaacman was looking for crewmates for his upcoming space flight. The billionaire who founded Shift for Payments had become a SpaceX client. And it was going to become the first orbital spaceflight with only private citizens aboard. Not only that, but he wanted to raise hundreds of millions of dollars for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, with Isaacman donating $125 million of his own money. I was skeptical about this whole endeavor at first, but I was soon won over. There was a Netflix series called Countdown, which came out before the flight in which we saw the crew meet for the first time. We saw them train together and prepare for this mission. And then the mission launched on the 16th of September, 2021. And for three days, we enjoyed the fact that there were normal people floating around in a spacecraft around the Earth. The mission had a crew of four Isaacmen, who was also a jet pilot as the commander. The second crew member to be selected was Haley Arsenault, a physician's assistant at the Children's Hospital and a bone cancer survivor herself. The hospital was asked to pick someone they wanted to represent the hospital, and Haley was chosen. At the time, she became the youngest American to orbit space and the first person with the prosthesis. The hospital also raffled off a seat, which Chris Sombrowski won, having donated $50 to the hospital. The final seat was won by Cyan Proctor through a competition run by Shift 4 Payments, which rewarded the best business idea to make use of Shift 4's commerce solution. So some of you may remember us covering this extensively, but we've yet to interview any of the crew. And while it may have been two years since that mission, it is still one of my personal highlights, if not the highlight of Spaceflight over the last three years of us making these podcasts. Isaacman is also in training for his next flight, which is called Polaris Dawn. And that's currently scheduled for no earlier than December of this year. So we intended on doing more on that closer to the time. But this interview certainly helps us start gearing up towards that mission and also to look forward to the future of commercial spaceflight. It's also really interesting to listen to this interview after last week's Jack Lausma interview. Uh, we recorded these on the same day. So it's really interesting to compare the two a 1960s NASA astronaut versus a modern-day commercial astronaut. So certainly two very different perspectives on that experience. Sembrowski is a former space camp counselor and served in the U.S. Air Force, maintaining a fleet of Minutemen III intercontinental ballistic missiles and deploying for service in Iraq before leaving active duty in 2007. He now works as an avionics testing engineer for Blue Origin's new Glenn program, this is Blue Origin's reusable rocket, which stands over 300 feet, or 310 feet, I'm sorry, or 95 meters at Dave's speak, which is nearly as large as the Saturn V. That's immense. That's huge. <laughs> yep. We spoke to Chris while he was at his home in Seattle, and we hope that you enjoy this interview with Chris Sambrowski. Celebrating three years of transatlantic podcasting, this is the Space and Things Podcast. All right. So welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us for our third birthday episode on Space and Things. We like a good scene setting question. So let's get back to the start and find out your origin story. So what prompted your interest in spaceflight? Oh, my goodness. I think it has to do with 
just lots of different things in elementary school. Probably my dad convincing me to get involved with building a model rocket with him, which nice. I promptly lost in the trees of Florida. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was a really fun thing to do to kind of just see what we could do with a little bit of a model rocket, smell that black powder. But at the same time, just a couple of years earlier, I remember watching the TV set that they rolled into my first grade classroom. And as, as strange as it sounds, it's a, the Challenger accident also just kind of prompted an excitement and enthusiasm to kind of understand what was this about? Why was everybody so excited and, uh, why did it go wrong? And so, uh, getting involved with model rocketry and then in high school, you know, getting involved with my physics professor who encouraged me to come up to the roof of the high school and look through some big telescopes and nice. check out some strange things that are lurking in the skies every night that we don't necessarily pay attention to. That's what started it all. Amazing. So let's talk about space camp in Huntsville for a moment. Your yeah. inspiration for spacesuit has just been put on display there. So how did your connection to space camp start and, and why is it so important? So my connection to space camp started back when I went to college at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. And at that time, there was a space camp, Florida, there just right next to Kennedy Space Center. And a buddy of mine who we were, who I was going to school with said, hey, I think you'd really like going to space camp as a counselor. You know, you get free room and board and you get a little bit of paycheck, get to hang out with kids and talk about space all day. Sounded pretty cool. So I gave it a shot and fortunately they, they allowed me to join and, and get involved with the program. And that was super exciting. And some of the best people worked there. And so I've got some lifelong friends that were counselors. I've had people find me on Facebook years later saying, Hey, Chris, you were my counselor oh, 19 years ago, which yes. is incredible that they were able to find me. And that was before Inspiration 4 happened. So that was exciting to find yeah. out. But it's incredibly important to me and to space exploration overall to have space camp. And because we can do all these things with building rockets, we can find things that we can do in space and use resources in space. But if we are not inspiring next generation or encouraging them to pick up the mantle and carry it forward, then it's just going to be another series of footprints we leave on the moon and abandon it and have to start from scratch all over again. So space camp has really found its unique place in our culture of having this mystique and the mysteria of, oh, I get to pretend like I'm actually in space. And the kids really do believe it. It's exactly, it's exciting. And it doesn't take too much because they want to have that fantasy that's rooted in reality. And that's what's really cool. And when, when you, I, I had a chance to take my daughter there this summer um, for the full week and she absolutely loved it. Uh, she had made some friends she's still texting back and forth with. It, it's one of those just things that just grabs your attention and says, you know, there are other people like me that are interested in science, rocketry and space. And so I could do these things too. And you really can so let's fast forward to 2021 when you were selected to be part of Inspiration4, one of the first non-NASA astronaut orbital space flights. So you are an Air Force veteran. Did that in a way prepare you for space flight? And what else did you and your crew do to prepare for your time in space? So being a veteran 
is kind of a byproduct of my love for space. So as I was leaving space camp and I was leaving college, I wanted to stay closely connected with space. I, everybody was telling me at that time I would had a higher chance of being an NBA basketball player than, you know, going to space as an astronaut. And so, um, knowing my, uh, brother managed to get all the athletic genes in, in the family. And <laughs> I knew that probably both of those are not in the picture. So I wanted to stay close to, to rockets. I wanted to stay close to, uh, space. And so I signed up with the air force thinking that was going to get me closer and I'd stay with rockets. And I, I did, except it was the rockets out in the middle of Montana that don't go anywhere. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. um, those are the ones that, you know, have a big payload on the end of them that we don't want to share with anybody. So, uh, but I managed to maintain those while active duty and in the middle of Montana, it's extreme environments and going through military training, you really do get used to being uncomfortable, but still performing. So you still have to do your tasks. You still have to function at a high level. And so if anything, those experiences in the military translate directly to spaceflight because not everything is comfortable and fun, but you have to do it. I mean, if it's just for the safety of your crew or whatever it is, I mean, it's a small space in space that, and you all have to work together to be successful at it. And as it turns out, uh, what we did as a crew was somewhat reinforcing those ideas. Uh, we did things like hike a volcano in the snow and sleep on the icy snowy glacier at the top of Mount Rainier here in Washington state, uh, for a couple of nights to really <laughs> drive home the point that we're going to get, we're going to be comfortable feeling uncomfortable. And I think that was an incredible thing to see that not only did each of us feel okay in adopting that ideology, none of us gave up. And so all four of us really showed that we were going to support one another and not quit, even though it was a challenge. I can only imagine. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm a Florida <laughs> girl. So that, that cold glacier sounds a little sporty to me. Um, right. So back to, you know, the relationship you all had as a crew, uh, you and the rest of the Inspiration4 crew really seem to vibe well with one another and have a real closeness, which really you don't always find among teams. So what kinds yeah. of things, you know, other than the glacier contributed <laughs> to that, as well as, you know, as the human relationships factor is really significant in spaceflight? Right. I mean, especially you start building out these long duration missions, right? You, you see mm. folks go up to the station for six months and it's it's not all about like who's the best, and who's the toughest. It's who do I want to hang out with for months on end and, uh, you know, get to know and be okay with their weirdness and their quirks. And fortunately, the crew that formed with Inspiration4 they didn't kick me out the door when I started talking dad jokes or anything like that. So <laughs> that, that, that was a positive for me. Um, but uh, really, I don't know exactly how it all came to be that the four of us ended up being the crew that we were. But it really was unique in the fact that we all brought different strengths with us. In fact, we did some personality assessments and all of us checked the boxes for four major quadrants of this particular test so that we had somebody in our crew that had strengths in at least one of the major areas. And so we knew, we knew who to rely on or go to wow. if there was an issue that required a specific skill or 
or someone to to listen or, or you, you know you name it and i don't know exactly how that worked out but we really just lucked out in getting a crew that just jived and meshed well together i mean there i don't know if you heard about us doing um a record breaking simulation with spacex but we did a 30 hour long simulation in the simulator there at hawthorne uh, at spacex and you know we've got gravity still but we didn't leave the platform we didn't leave the simulator capsule for 30 hours and when our time was done and it was time to exit we we're like oh oh Oh, we're done. You sure? Did you guys get all the data? Because we're good here. We could hang out longer. And I think that was the kind of the surprise for all of us realizing we're going to be fine hanging out. And plus, you can do anything for three days with anybody, I would think. Well, yeah. most everybody. But <laughs> for our crew, we, we were really honestly really well put together in a way that nobody could have planned. That's the crazy. I, I don't know if irony is the right word, but it's the crazy thing about it as well, isn't it? Because... It was very random how you were selected. So for that to have happened is quite amazing in yeah. many ways, isn't it? There's so many reality TV shows where they put people together and they really work to try and either make people work together or not work together. Not that you were a reality TV show, but right. they just selected four people. Well, Jared obviously was Jared. Uh, and it worked. And you think about it in that sort of sense and... There was a lot of risk for Jared setting up the program that way, right? He could have had, well, I guess my seat may have been really the wild card in all of this. You know, you're just literally pulling somebody's name out of a hat, out of the general public who is at best interested in space and at worst could come with traits that might be risky for somebody who's trying to successfully and safely, you know, be responsible for the lives of an entire crew. And so it was really just, one of those things that I just am thankful for, for the way it all did come together. And it, I will say too, it wasn't just the four of us. It, it's the people that surrounded each of us individually that kind of expanded our own families. So I, I know that anybody that Cyan brought in um, and my wife kind of took a liking to, and so she she claimed them as her family. And, and, and it went on for all the crew members. There were people people that we all brought in that I look on Facebook now and they're like best friends and nice. <laughs> how did they make this connection oh 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 that's right and now they're <laughs> constantly communicating back and forth I love that that's amazing so we've had a great question from one of our Patreon subscribers Wizzo has asked as an engineer what systems or technical aspects of the Dragon spacecraft did you find most innovative or interesting you know I honestly think it was probably the, the the touchscreen displays we have all these ipads and these apps nowadays right and anybody can create a user interface but the way it was thought out and how things were connected if you're in a certain system you know there's it's one touch to get to you know the manual that is describing that specific system but there's a lot of human factors involved too in terms of the colors used or the highlighting to say what's on versus what is off. I, I think just seeing that and how well thought it was put together, uh, that was super impressive to me. And, and knowing that you could still manipulate the screens in these thick spacesuit gloves too. And then yeah. so the, the thought, 
golly. See, now you're making me think about other things as well, like the spacesuit gloves that you still manipulate the touchscreen. But the suits themselves and the gloves and the detail and the hundreds, literally hundreds of measurements that went into making our suits custom fitted for each of us individually. And the attention to detail that those suit designers have is phenomenal. It wasn't just about being functional and being comfortable, but before we would go and get a picture taken or walk out where other people would see us, I remember the, the suit technicians coming up and, you know, just kind of pressing our, our fronts down or tightening our shirts and making sure like the, uh, the, the Velcro that's in there to keep the shirt front flat is in place. So there are things like that, that show you that that little bit of attention to detail is, is incredible and well thought out. All right. So this next question, um, I might regret asking it, but there is a huge debate, as you probably know, over what makes an astronaut a, quote, astronaut. So on the Internet, many argue that non-NASA astronauts don't count as, quote, actual astronauts, which to us is ridiculous if someone, regardless of affiliation, has spent several days in Earth orbit, as you have. So what do you have to say about or to the people who think astronauts aboard uh, privately funded space flights aren't real astronauts? The more I hear about this astronaut versus not astronaut debate, it it loses its value with me. Like I really look and see the folks that are uh, dedicated government astronauts as heroes. I mean, I, I honestly do. And so it's not just about being a flat out astronaut. You have government astronauts, which lets you know that that took a lot of dedication and training and experience, and they're willing to push the envelope and try things in a different way. But then you start talking about commercial astronauts or non-government astronauts, and that that tells another story completely. And now I do think there's a lot to be said about what does it mean to experience orbital flight like we did an Inspiration4 versus a suborbital flight like Virgin Galactic or Blue Origin's New Shepard, which by the way, I do work for Blue Origin now and working on a new Glenn rocket, which is going to be an incredibly huge orbital vehicle, super exciting. But I have come to realize that the value of those flights, whether they're suborbital or orbital, really having a tremendous impact way beyond just a five or 10 minute ride. The stories they come back with and you, We've all seen it from like uh, William Shatner and then other astronauts like Sarah Sabri. They talk about being moved by, okay, Shatner came back with a very dark description of what he experienced and that's okay. And then other people come back and see this fragile, beautiful earth and how we need to protect it. And, And that's an amazing impact that these short duration flights have. And I think it's very similar to how folks climb to the top of the Space Needle in Washington State in Seattle, you know, that's, or they go up to the top of the Empire State Building to the observation deck. And you, you pay a tremendous amount of money for a short elevator ride. And it's, you want to see things in a different point of view. You want to see things that make you feel small. And it changes you in a way that's difficult to describe, except to know that it alters your connection with the earth in some way. And so when you say you're an astronaut, 
to me, it means that you've been exposed to the opportunity to ex- have that experience. Mm. Nice. Um, and I think if you want to come and have a little fight about have you earned a title astronaut versus space flight participant or, or uh, just a space tourist, those all are becoming secondary in my, in my mind to the experience itself. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because that experience isn't just yours. What I mean by that is I'd never been so personally invested in a space flight before your ones. And I'd been following space and space flights since I was a little kid. But the way yours was packaged, and I, I had to be won over, but once I got into that Netflix uh, show and I met you all through that, and all of the run-up in the build-up towards your flight, when it then happened, it was like my friends were going up, which is something that's never happened with anything that, that NASA have done before. I've always been excited with what they've done or, or any of the space agencies, but but really feeling so personally involved with your mission was quite something. And the other part of that is that as you were about to launch, we had the footage from within the in your capsule and normally on the NASA flights that cuts away and we just watch the exterior of the vehicle but on your flight I'm guessing because private space flight rules are different and it's not following NASA protocol we were in your spacecraft with you all the way up and that I wasn't expecting at all and it was fascinating to be in there with you whilst you're experiencing this incredible thing of a space space launch, something that many of us would love to experience ourselves. And we're watching these four people we've got to know enjoy that ride. Now, I want to know is, was that discussed beforehand? Because that could have gone horribly wrong. Oh, gosh. I know. I, it, well, okay. So there's two answers to this, this question. I love, I, I just, this fact that you're talking about, you're realizing that you're with us the entire time on one side, I forgot how emotionally connected I get with seeing other humans launch to space, no matter what the vehicle is. And, and we're all willing those vehicles, you know, to get safely past max Q and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so you're like, come on, come on, come on, do it, do it, get there, get there. And then the engine's cut off and you're like, oh, okay, my shoulders relax. I can take a deep sigh of relief. They're in space. They're through that really dynamic part of flight. And I had forgotten about that as we were flying, but was very much reminded when I went back and watched the documentary on Netflix and, and saw the launch and then hearing the cheers and the claps during the countdown from, from all the folks outside Mission Control there in Hawthorne that that moved me in a way that I was reminded that okay yeah you guys were there with us the entire time um and then <laughs> being reminded we would we would get status updates on the flight about how the fundraiser was going up until you know just before we lifted off there were opportunities where you could donate to to the website and get a patch or get a pin or get some swag but as the flight kicked off and and we were going through there were no more there, there was no more like hey give a little bit we'll get a little bit and you're you're not going to get any more swag or and people just started giving because they were inspired and that's an incredible story in of itself i mean mm. we raised 
to tens of millions of dollars just by orbiting the earth and just being ourselves and trying to do something good for humanity while we're out here floating at 590 kilometers. And yeah, that, that it doesn't always register when you're in the moment, but when you look back, you're like, holy cow, yeah, you guys were with us the entire way, even if we didn't know you were there all the time. And then the second part of the, what you were asking about, I think our families thought about more so about how what's going to be projected, what's going to be filmed and what's going to be seen during the launch and those different phases of flight. Uh, because so many people look back at history tapes and see, you know, when Challenger and that accident happened, the first thing that the cameras do is they turn around and they, they take a, you know, a headshot of like Krista McCullough's mom and they, they, they look at her and the families and, but them front and center in the moment of their highest grief. And I know that was not something that my wife wanted to experience publicly. Uh, and so that was something that I, I don't know exactly how it was all done, but I do know uh, that with you guys being us camera footage inside the capsule, we were happy for any of that. We wanted to bring people along with us as much as possible, even if I didn't understand exactly how much you were coming with us. Uh, but <laughs> we did have our families off to the side in their places where they could experience the, the launch and successes or off nominal situations uh, in private, if need be. Yeah, it was wonderful. And especially seeing as the, the, the glimpses we get, and it's often afterwards with the NASA flights, you're watching these trained astronauts sit there very stoic and express very little emotion. And then, then we're watching you guys and obviously it's Haley's... This bumping ha back and yeah. forth. And <laughs> Haley's yeah. going, yes! <laughs> Which is just like <laughs> phenomenal. It's like, hang on, it's, it's, it's us. It's normal people doing this. This is phenomenal. And again, I think that's why it connected so well. Uh, yeah. It was just like, yeah, this this finally my dream of, of having this opportunity may come true because... I'm watching it happen right now. And, and that was really something. So what that leads me to say is, has, I mean, it must have done, but has this whole experience changed your life? Not only have you now been to space, right. but you're a Netflix star and you're friends with a billionaire and you, you get flown places to pick up awards or, or has that stuff all died down a bit now? Oh, that's tamped down quite a bit. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm mowing the lawn every week, taking out the garbage. I don't know if you can hear the squeals <laughs> of the garbage truck going by as we're having the interview. Uh, but hey, I've got two girls to raise to put through put through school, and and so being a dad is is where I am right now. And I think what the way it has changed me is that I that I kind of just think about things in a little bit broader perspective and go about things thinking that all right, there isn't really anything I'm trying to sell to anyone. Um, from any sort of, you know, trying to climb a, a corporate ladder, uh, going through this experience almost gave me a sense of freedom and release to just be me. To mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going through this. I, I've said yes to the idea of being put on a couple of million pounds of thrust uh, on a launch pad. Um, how much crazier can things get? You yeah. know, and then I'll just I'll just share some stories along the way and just really be more genuine and true to how I feel inside and who I am and just talk about how space really is an amazing, inspiring, incredible place. 
And uh, you must have been asked this a million times, but what, was there one moment when you were up there that just was better than the rest? Oh, gosh. One? Just one? Well, if you've got more than one, you can have more than one. <laughs> but, but I'm just wondering if there was one moment, like, what was it when that window was revealed and you got that yeah. look? Or, or was was there other moments that, that, that really just made you go, oh, my God, this is everything I wanted and more, or, or maybe not? The, yeah, well, they're... they're Obviously, there's there's recording. Sian did an amazing job of taking her TV days and capturing, you know, me opening the that forward hatch and Haley putting the 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 protective cover covers on the seals as we start looking through that amazing window to start with, and we all just kind of pause for a moment because it is overwhelming. But I think there was a moment that really just is ingrained in my mind, and it was. Just a few moments after launch, we got up into orbit and, you know, we launched at about eight o'clock at night. And so we launched towards the east. We launched towards the night side of the earth. And so we're, we're going over Europe or Africa and it's dark. It's nighttime. A few minutes later, though, we're still sitting in our seats because we're waiting to get to a place where we can circularize our orbit and, you know, get to the right altitude and... As we start to come around the other side of the earth and experience our first sunrise, we can't run to the window yet because we're still strapped in. But the sun, from the way Dragon's oriented at this point, just beamed in from one of the side windows and hit the opposite wall over on Haley's side of the spacecraft with this most incredible, brilliant, bright, white pureness that is something I'm never going to forget. Uh, I, we had all this like, you know, LED lighting and artificial lighting and reflected light off the earth during our mission. But that moment when you know, the sunlight came directly through our window and just illuminated the entire interior of the capsule, it's like a breath of fresh air. Hmm. It's about how I, yeah, it was just like, if your eyes could take a deep breath, that's kind of how the sun revealed itself in its light to us without any filtering from the atmosphere. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I don't know yeah. how I can follow this up. Well, see, you see, <laughs> now, I, obviously, I got to probably write some of these things down. So, hey, I'm glad you're recording this. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'd love to see a book. We'd love to see a book. So... Let's bring us up to date. So you work at Blue Origin. Uh, you yeah. said you were working on the new Glenn rocket, which is a big uh, orbital rocket. So how does your spaceflight experience, especially, you know, as you've said, seeing the sun and, and having, you know, those visions of Earth from the Dragon capsule, how do those things inform you at your day job now? Right. So they keep things in perspective. Uh, and I think we all get stuck in the mundane day-to-day tasks where we, you know, we're checking emails, we're responding to meetings and we're going through budgets and spreadsheets. Uh, and that's true in pretty much every industry, but I'll just minimize all my windows and look at my back backdrop of my desktop. And I have intentionally put images I took from space to say, okay, this, this is why we're doing this, this incredible blue planet that we are all trying to live on and work together on as we're trying to grow up, protect and do really cool things with our lives and th- these adventures out in the space is that 
it's that inspiration that kind of just reminds me that this is why we're doing that. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening, this afternoon, this evening for me. I always forget that. Um, this really has been wonderful. I've absolutely, I had a smile on my face the whole of this interview. So thank you so, so very much for your time. Uh, are you going to be at the Polaris Dawn launch? Is that the plan? Will you be supporting those guys? If I can get down there, absolutely, 100%. I'll be down there somewhere. Uh, they better not keep me away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exciting times. Well, uh, yeah, we wish you all the best and uh, good luck at Blue Origin. I hope that continues to go well and uh, hopefully we'll see you around soon. Awesome. No, thank you guys. It's been really fun. Thank you. Don't forget to leave a rating or review on your podcast provider and please consider sharing space and things with your friends. When his name got picked for that mission, there is no way that they could know that they got the right person in that instant. But could you imagine a better person, a better ambassador for space? Like, listen to that interview and tell me he's not perfect for the to have that experience. The perfect person to have gone through that and come out the other side and tell us about it. Absolutely. We expect it from media-trained astronauts, so on and so forth. But this is just a regular person who went, who went to space and yet he's so eloquent. Exactly. And I, I, I think that's a great point that you brought up that, you know, nobody really had any expectation from the members of Inspiration4 because they weren't people we were familiar with yet, really. I mean, we knew a little bit about Jared Isaacman. Yeah. I knew a little bit about Cyan Proctor because I'd followed her on social media, but I didn't know anything at all about, you know, um, Haley and, and Chris. I knew nothing about them. So they were completely unknown quantities. And I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, man, they're just throwing four people together. How's this going to work out? You know, because I, relationships yeah. are can be tough, you know, and, and teamwork can be tough as well. I mean, there are teams that are have been together for a long time. And as we've seen, you know, in, in all sorts of professions, not just space flight, they've broken up, you know, and, and stuff just because of whatever. And they just seem to work together. I watched the documentary. I followed their mission, you know, and everything leading up to it. And I'm like, they just vibed so well with each other. And, and yeah, like you said, Chris seems like the one of the the perfect person to be selected for that space flight. Absolutely. Um, him and the rest of the crew, they just, they just got the, and they got the job done. I mean, they did it well. And oh, yeah. I, I really, <laughs> on space hipsters and other groups and this, and this is why I brought it up during the interview, you know, there's this debate about, you know, well, these people aren't astronauts because they're not NASA astronauts. And that's not a slam against NASA astronauts. You know, I understand they went through school for a very long time and trained for years and years and years and years to get where they are. But I'm sorry if you've gone into Earth orbit, if you got the the bravery, I guess, to strap on a, a rocket that has millions of pounds of thrust and, and ride it to orbit, you're an astronaut. Am I? <laughs> you're an astronaut. Talking to Chris... I think he sounded well-trained and he was definitely aware of what could happen. I think an issue that some people might have with non, 
uh, NASA astronauts is they probably have a feeling, well, they're probably not aware of the risk of it. And I think he was very well aware of the risks of this flight because he brought that up during the interview, you know, like your family could potentially see a, a tragic event. Yeah, I definitely think this was the right person to be on that flight. And it wasn't just a contest, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, it yeah. or it may have been a kind of contest, but it worked out just perfectly. Yeah, if they had actually gone through the process of going through everyone who entered the raffle and decide whether they're worthy of this trip, I'd be surprised if he still wasn't picked based on that because he was so good. And I think the whole crew are so special and that's something that I don't know how they managed to get that. It was just incredible how they randomly put these four people together and it worked so well. I mean, right from the very start, I really didn't think I would like Jared. What could I possibly connect with this billionaire? And I know some people may criticize me for that opinion, but I didn't think I would. And yet I did. I thought he was incredible. And that really surprised me as well. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be wowed by Jared. I thought I might be inspired by the others, but he was the unknown. Yeah, I didn't think I would like him. Like you said, I grew to like him, you know, I because, um, you know, I thought he was a good boss. Great leader. Yeah. yeah, and he just showed leadership so well, and you could see how he, how well he put that team together or how he made that team come together beyond just the fact, okay, here's what we're doing and uh, and how they all respected him so much. You could see it. It was genuine. It wasn't just, oh, this guy's paying for our exactly. space flight and I'm going to be nice. You could see there was genuine respect there. Exactly. And that's got to be earned. It's not something you can buy. Yeah. I know it's perhaps a little bit too late talking about this mission now, and but I, I think it's important. And especially as we're running up to the, hopefully to Polaris Dawn, the next mission in Jared's series of missions, which he's got planned. Yeah. Um, and that's coming up soon. It keeps getting delayed because of other things that are out of their control. But that may have the first commercial space walk on. Yes, like which is amazing. And again, it's going to all be for charity. It's 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 raising awareness, and this opens up the door to potential Hubble or other satellites yeah. being maintained by commercial crews and other. Th- it's it's. Yeah. It's really quite something what you know as I said what a time to be alive. Yeah. What a time exactly. to be alive and I'm so gl- I'm yep. so glad we did this interview. I think this me is Me too. Uh, yeah, he made me cry. I generally had a smile on my face. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> he made me I, cry. Chris, you made me cry. I'm just kidding. No, but he did make me tear yeah. up when he was talking about that. I was like, "Man. Ooh, I would love I I got chills. Who wouldn't love to see that? That would be so cool." Absolutely. Yes. What an eloquent man. Yes. And I hope no one is taken offence and I hope if he's heard it he's not taken offence to the fact I keep referring to him and the crew as normal people they in my opinion should be held in high regard and they are have achieved things and have proven themselves to be much higher than just normal but I mean normal in the sense of not being NASA trained astronauts or other space agency space travellers if that makes sense Uh, I hope that's clear uh but anyway, that I loved that interview. Absolutely loved it. And the full interview and a bonus question, as was something we started doing, is now available on our Patreon page. So please do go and check that out. And you can find out all about Chris 
in the show notes. So I will have a look in the description of this podcast in your podcast provider or go on our show notes on our website, which is spaceandthingspodcast.com. To submit questions for any of our upcoming guests, join us on Patreon, www.patreon.com backslash spaceandthings. So, Emily, what's caught your eye in spaceflight since last week? Yeah, well, this story just came out yesterday, but uh, I read this on spacenews.com. Um, and it's not really great news, but I feel like I should report it is that NASA has confirmed, and this is the headline, NASA confirms multi-year delay in the next New Frontiers competition. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, New Frontiers is a planetary science mission, like a program. So right now they're looking for a new, or, well, they were looking for a new, uh, New Frontiers uh, mission. They have selected four of them, which was New Horizons, which is still functioning, Juno, uh, OSIRIS-REx, and the fourth is Dragonfly, which is a Titan mission, and currently it's being developed and being launched, hopefully, in 2027. Basically, right now, is because of budget issues, uh, NASA is delaying the release of the call for proposals for the next planetary science mission, which really kind of stinks. According to this article, NASA had been working towards a release of the final AO for the uh, New Frontiers mission in November. Basically, that would mean that, you know, the scientific community would give their ideas for such a mission. So it kind of stinks that this has been um, delayed due to budget cuts. And we really, honestly, on Space and Things, we need to get somebody who's like a space policy expert to discuss you know, the budget and how that really works. Because I'll be honest, I'm not the right one to discuss that kind of topic. So I would love to get somebody who is a space policy expert who can really discuss, like, why is the NASA budget, you know, why is it what it is? Why does it face so many of these delays? And why does, why are certain missions just, you know, that look amazing or cut out? If you look back at, like, New Horizons, for example, the the mission that first explored Pluto and the Kuiper Belt, it was almost chopped a few times. I mean, it was almost canceled and it really did take forever to be realized and launched. It took, I want to say, over a decade. It, it wasn't like they developed it and it and it just happened all of a sudden. And you contrast that to missions. And granted, NASA was dealing with a different budget back then. But you look at like the Pioneer missions that NASA aims at, Pioneer 10 and 11. Yeah. Those took a very brief time to really develop. But that news kind of did sadden me. I don't like to have negative news about spaceflight, but it did sadden me because I would love to see more really cool planetary exploration missions. You know, we've seen how cool New Horizons was and we've seen how awesome Juno is and also continues to be. You know, it's orbiting Jupiter. It's taking these really unprecedented images of the planet and the moons and things like that. So not very happy news, but I felt a need to put it out there and I'd certainly like a return to more awesome planetary science missions in the future. Yeah, I love these missions. I know. And I think they're really cool. They do more than people think in terms of outreach as well. Yeah. I think they connect with the public in ways that probably were unexpected. Like there is a whole Twitter page or, or X, whatever you want to call it, which <laughs> is just is. photos, daily photos from Juno. And every day they post a different photo and, and they're so cool and people, they get retweeted so many times and, and that makes a huge difference in outreach. 
and inspiring people to want to find out more. So it's obviously not just folk toes, but it's things like that which really do make a difference. And can you put a value on that kind of stuff? Well, you probably can, and someone is. Now, good news, though, Emily, is that we mentioned about getting someone on to talk about policy and budgets a few weeks back, and a few of our listeners messaged the same name, saying, this is the person that we have to get on. So I will be emailing awesome. that person this week Excellent. to try and make sure that we can get that to happen. And and thank you to our listeners for hearing us and actually trying to help us out because that makes a big difference. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, in terms of helping us out and, and making sure that we get the right guests on to talk about things. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that. absolutely. Thank you. And, I, you know, I, we've wanted to get somebody who's an expert on that for a long time on the show because I just find it a very complex issue and I would feel comfortable talking to somebody who can break it down for me. Yeah, so not very happy news, but it also kind of speaks to how difficult it is really to do these planetary missions as well. I mean, they require a certain amount of budget because they are very complex. If you look at what Osiris Rex did in some of the photos from it, I mean, it's just mind-blowing. It's almost like, un, yeah. you know... I don't want to contribute to conspiracy doofuses out there, but it looks almost unreal because it's something that's from yeah. almost from science fiction. It kind yeah. of speaks to how difficult and complex these missions really can be and how NASA and JPL and, and associated contractors, they make it look easy, but it's, as we know, it's, and they make it look easy like an Olympic athlete makes what they do look easy. So, Anyway, uh, so Dave, what has caught your eye this week? Well, it's probably just the headline stuff, really, that's caught my eye. Because uh, there's been some great headlines. Yes. Yeah. You know, more positive stories. Crew 7 is now at the International Space Station after a successful launch, which is great news. And that means that, that is the great Crew news. 6 will be coming home soon. So we'll, we'll have a splashdown soon, which is always always fun to watch. And fingers crossed that goes well. The India moon landing was just amazing. Yeah, I, w I knew you would talk about that and i'm sort of still mind blown at just everything you know and I, I plus the emotional like just seeing their controllers and everybody freak out that was wonderful uh it was great to watch, it was wonderful it? it was one of those things that just makes your soul feel better because you're like man and they've yes. really been trying for a long time with this and they just got it right and the pictures that are coming back are just amazing that was really yep. good for the soul. I loved seeing that. And I loved, I loved seeing everybody celebrating, you know, and oh God, that was awesome. So very yeah. happy news. The first mission to the South Pole as right? well, which I, I believe. That is crazy. So, uh, and, and it's already sending back, because you said great photos and data. We've had the first temperature reading from the South Pole. Wow. It's, it's that kind of stuff that we're getting, you know, and, and scientists have probably got a guess of, of what the temperatures are in these places, but now we've got an official reading. You know, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? They get, we're like, that's why, as you talked about, the, the these missions, these robotic planetary science missions are really important. They really do teach us so much about how our, our extended environment away from our planet works yeah. and what we what we are part of it's just amazing i'm, I'm really pleased that, that yeah. they got it right and and there's been so many near misses recently with uh with the moon that actually this one it, it feels good to have got one right uh, and a new country on the moon as well which is which, which is, is amazing awesome. so yeah well done well done to the indian space agency for, for that that's uh I, I will of course post lots of links 
uh, to these things in the show notes. And also, to in whilst we've, we've had a, an episode about commercial space flight, Virgin Galactic are planning to launch their next tourist flight on September the 8th. Uh, which is great news. I don't think they've currently announced, as we're recording this, I don't think they've currently announced who the crew will yeah. be. Tickets are $450,000, <laughs> which is a little bit more than the $50 that Chris Sembroski paid right. uh, for his orbital flight. But, <laughs> but that's a whole other right. thing. He got a good deal. He did He's, all right, he did, didn't he? He, he did, did all good. right. Yeah, he did really good. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And also, uh, it looks like um, we're going to see uh, another Starship launch pretty soon. Elon is saying that it's going to go go soon. And we've, there was a, a refiring of the booster uh, on the pad in Boca Chica recently, which is um, is pretty cool to have seen. So, yes, uh, more exciting times coming up as well. Absolutely. It's no secret that space is hard, but finding space in things isn't. You can find the podcast on all major platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I know we recently made a big deal out of our 150th episode. Uh, so now having another celebration might seem a bit much, but three years to me is worth celebrating. Uh, we still haven't missed a week and we've interviewed, as we said, we've interviewed so many amazing people. So thank you for all who continue to support us. We really do love doing this. And a big thank you to Nick Angelica as well, one of our patrons for providing this week's stings. Cheers, buddy. Yes, thank you again so much. And thanks to Andrew and Maddie for joining us on Patreon in the last week. Please consider joining if you haven't. You can do so by heading to patreon.com slash space and things. And also thank you to our Rosina who left a review this week. She said, such a great podcast. I've always learned loads listening. Well, we've been learning loads by making them. So I'm glad it's a mutual experience. Please keep the reviews coming, but don't forget, in space, no one can hear you meet.